0: So my sermon today is in the vein of a pastoral update. What is God? What do I see God doing at Church of the Lamb? To start, I'm going to ask you, if you would, to turn over uh, your worship guide to the very back. On the back of our worship guide, in case you didn't know, every Sunday we have our mission and values. And our mission is to abide as disciples of Christ it's a pretty basic mission, really. It comes directly out of Scripture, John chapter 15. Uh, and the reason this is our mission is because we want our church to have integrity. <laughs> we want our lives as Christ's people to have integrity. Jesus said that in that same passage that without abiding in him, we can do nothing. We're like dead limbs on a tree that need to be cut off. Um, yesterday I was reading a book that was recommended to me by a couple of people here, and I came across this challenge. I want to read this to you. It's incredibly powerful. There is a danger that you will mislive, that despite all of your activity, despite all the pleasant diversions you might have enjoyed while alive, you will end up living a bad life. There is, in other words, a danger that when you are on your deathbed, you will look back and realize that you wasted your one chance at living. Instead of spending your life pursuing something genuinely valuable, you squandered it because you allowed yourself to be distracted by the various baubles life has to offer. The word mislive and the possibility of misliving That is searing to me. And this is what Jesus is challenging people not to do, not to mislive. The way not to mislive is to begin your life, to root your life in abiding in Christ, the source of genuine life. And this is why our mission is so basic, to try to warn us against misliving as a people, as a church. Abiding in Christ has this dual effect that we include in our statement. We are invited to rest and we are compelled to love. So this is what Jesus does with us when we abide in him. First, we receive rest for our souls. We stop clamoring, trying to solve all our own problems because we realize we can't. That we need Christ. So we're, we receive rest. We're restored in ourselves and we're restored to our creator and our redeemer. And in receiving that rest, we're then thrust back into the world with the power of Christ's spirit. So many people, many of us included, go out into the world overconfident and ill-equipped to deal with the problems of the world. We have only our own passion and resolve. We're right in the instinct that we need to serve the world. What we're wrong about is the sense that we can do it on our own. We aren't humble or insightful enough to realize that the problems in our own lives and in the world are just too big for our own passions and resolves. Jesus says the only way to bear genuine fruit in the world is through the power of his spirit. So this is our mission, to abide as disciples of Christ, invited to rest and compelled to love. Now, I'm going to lead us through the passages we heard this morning, using them to tell the story of where we are as a church, where we've been, and where with God's help, I think, when we think we're going. Now, I want to tell you and now, in case you start thinking it later, um, that I was bold to choose the passages that we're preaching this morning um, on the same Sunday that we're voting on the budget. I actually didn't choose these passages myself. They were lectionary passages. So there you go. Um, There was one time that I was considering an issue and I was, I was being selfish, but I didn't have the ability to admit it to myself yet. Have you ever been there? It just takes you a little while to get there where you can acknowledge to yourself you're being selfish. And I was processing something to Katie and she says, I'm going to let you talk to Jesus about that one. (laughs) And it was this gentle, sorry, I might be embarrassing her. It was this super gentle and kind way of saying, I'm going to let you, I'm going to let this play out. I trust that you'll go to the Lord with that. So if you, uh, at some point in the sermon, this gets in your crawl, you can come talk to me if you'd like. I'd be glad to talk with you. But there's going to be somebody else that you're going to need to talk to also, is what I'm saying. So I, I am in very confident after sitting with these passages this week that the Holy Spirit um, has something for us in them at this stage in the life of Church of the Lamb. So I want to look, take a look at both the stories of the widows that were read for us. And I'm going to reflect in light of those. And then we'll close with the passage from the book of Hebrews. So starting with our Old Testament story. Israel is in a period of drought. I'd, Elijah had prophesied the drought to the apostate King Ahab. King Ahab is doing, carrying out wickedness before God. He is an evil king. So Elijah tells him, there's going to be a drought on your land, on the entire land of Israel. And what do you do after you tell a power-hungry, wicked king there's going to be a drought? You run, you run. God tells Elijah, get out of Dodge and go live in the wilderness. And I'm going to provide for you. So for a while, Elijah is provided for by ravens. And he drinks from this brook, Cherith. The drought eventually, though, causes the brook to dry up. So God then tells Elijah to go to a land outside of Israel, and he tells him that a, land, that a widow of this land, Sidon, will pro- provide for him. So here's the big picture that this story is drawing for us. It's a time of scarcity, complete scarcity. There is a scarcity of people who follow God, but there's also a scarcity of resources by which to just live to stay alive. It is total scarcity. So Elijah gets to the place God sends him, and sure enough, what happens? At the gates, he meets a widow. He asks her for a drink and a bite to eat, and she explains to him that she has little to nothing left to live on, that soon she and her son are going to die of hunger. Again, scarcity. Not enough to even stay alive. But Elijah, assured that God has sent him to this woman, tells her that she and her son will be provided for. Don't be afraid, he tells her. Go and do as you planned. Go make that food that you're planning to live on, that what you call a last meal. But first, make a small cake for me and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. And this is the bold move, right? Right? First, make it for me, even though you only have enough for you and your son to have a last meal. And then Elijah says, for this is what the Lord God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be empty and the jug of oil will not run out until the day that the Lord makes it rain on the surface of the ground. The woman is to first give food to Elijah, trusting she's going to have enough for herself and her son. And so what does she do? She goes and makes the food for Elijah. And then we're told there was always enough food for Elijah and for her and her family. The jar of flour was never empty and the jug of oil never ran out, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. So here's the the sense of the story. Despite the scarcity, they always had enough. Every day they would dip into the jar of flour. Every day they would use the oil. And every day it replenished itself. The same idea is expressed in relation to the children of Israel in the wilderness. For 40 years, your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not blister or swell. And every day, manna was provided for the people. So God provides in the midst of scarcity, and he provides for the most vulnerable of all people, a non-Israelite widow For Elijah, God also provides through the most unusual means. First, it's a raven, and then it is a poor, non-Israelite widow. Not the wealthy, it's the poor. Okay, now to the scene in the Gospel of Mark. First, what happens in the Gospel of Mark is that Jesus denounces the people who make a show of their appearance. These are people who love to talk it up in the public places where they're going to be noticed for their piety. They have the best seats at church. That would be hard to accomplish in our situation here, wouldn't it? Have the best seats. But they also have the best seats at parties. They love being in the mix, the most popular at an event. Meanwhile, they devour widows' property, Jesus says, and they love to offer impressive prayers in public. Jesus says these people are going to receive a more severe punishment than others. And this is in line with what he says in other places, that to whom much is given, much will be required. That can be both good and bad. Then Jesus sits down and he watches as people give their offerings. I want you to picture this. Picture this. Can you imagine giving your offering while Jesus situates his chair right over there just so that he can watch? He knows exactly what you're putting in there. He knows the purchases you made last week. He knows how much you've gotten the accounts. He knows what bills you might have left to pay and how much that offering might bring you up short. Of those bills the idea here is that Jesus is like an inspector of our hearts he looks on and he knows where we are so Jesus is he's watching this scene and some of the people are putting in hefty amounts a lot big checks But then there's this poor widow who comes by. And again, it's a scarcity situation, just like with the widow of Zarephath, isn't it? This woman has little to nothing to offer, but what she has, she puts in there. And the disciples are nearby. Evidently, they've watched this. But Jesus, it's a big enough deal that Jesus actually calls them over to him. And he points out to the widow and he says, she's put in more than anybody else. Everybody else still had stuff to live off of. She's put in everything that she had. This woman has put herself in the situation of having nothing and no one but God to depend on. Now, I don't know if others of you have come across it, but in case you have, or in case you one day come across this way of reading this passage, I I want to address this. Some have read this passage and said that Jesus isn't actually affirming the widow so much as he is uh, criticizing the culture that created the widow. So those same wealthy people that he talks about before who uh, devour widows houses. One writer I, I came across this past week goes so far as to say that what she put in was wasted because the temple would eventually be destroyed. That what's happening is Jesus is actually just condemning those wealthy people and not affirming what the widow does. And that, to me, is a cynical and unfair reading of the story. (laughs) Even though Jesus is obviously critiquing those people, he's also affirming the sacrificial giving of this woman. Because within the brokenness of her world, She seeks to be as faithful as she can be. Look, there are problems in the world that you cannot fix. But your job is still to be faithful, as faithful as you can be within the world that God has made you to live. In a subtle way, actually, this woman is like Jesus. That's what the story is showing us. She's like Jesus in that she gives everything that she has to live on. And that's exactly what Jesus does on the cross. He gives everything. He gives his entire life as a gift to the world. Now, how do these two stories, the widow of Zarephath in the Old Testament and this widow that Jesus commends to us? How do these two stories speak to where we are as Church of the Lamb? What would the Holy Spirit say to us through them? Here's something. I think of many of the stories that I hear from some of you guys. My own life, the way that life and finances are so lean in many people's lives, especially in the early years. You know when you're reflecting, especially uh, uh, married couples, families, when you're in your 50s and 60s and you reflect back to how things were when you first got married. Things were lean. I remember Scott during this time of year last year, um, he was talking about how in his early years of marriage he would pick up bottles on the road to go turn them in for change. Is that right, Scott? Aluminum cans, excuse me. Yeah, it was earlier than I thought. It was a little, just kidding. <laughs> no. I know this isn't, it isn't this way for everyone, but for many people, it's, you know, life starts out really lean. And then as the years go by, with God's help, the years become less lean. And that's a gift. It really is. But here's the danger with that. You can slowly lose the ability to identify with this widows in that they live in daily dependence on God, like literally every day, hoping that the flour doesn't run out and the oil doesn't run out, wondering, should I share with Elijah today? Because I've only got enough for myself and my son, or maybe just my son. This is the danger for us, that we begin to think that we're not like them. Who wants to be like them, frankly? That dependent, really? So through our savings accounts and our investment accounts, we seek to build up a buffer against dependence. Daily dependence. The irony is that these widows are more free than many of us here and many Americans They give of everything they have, believing that somehow the resources are not going to be as scarce as they look, despite the fact that they look really scarce on the surface. We're discipled in our culture to think differently, to ask questions like, how much do we need to store up? How many people have financial advisors who tell them, daily dependence, that's where you need to be, right? Right? I mean, I I, I appreciate financial advisors, they're a gift, but that's not usually the way they go. (laughs) The answer, rather, to how much do we need to store up is usually as much as we're able. God calls his people into a freedom of believing that he is the one who always provides for us at all times, even in scarcity. So that we can freely offer up everything. Live with open hands. And I'm saying these things not just for you and me personally. I'm saying it for our church as a whole. And look, and I'll say this again later. What I'm saying could easily be misinterpreted as throwing aside wisdom. That's not what I'm saying. Wisdom is knowing where we're taking steps of faith. (laughs) It's not refusing to take steps of faith. Now there's a sense in which Church of the Lamb has had its most fruitful year ever. We've had growth in people, growth in finances with our regular budget and our abide campaign. We've had growth in leadership. By the end of the year we're going to have two deacons at Lamb and Travis and Andrew. Growth in giving of resources this year. I don't know if you know this, but Church of the Lamb actually ties its resources. We believe this is what God calls people to do. This is what God calls churches to do. So this is the first thing within our budget every year is giving. This year, we will give in away thirty-four thousand people, thirty-four thousand not people. That would be awesome. Thirty-four thousand dollars to people in need in our church and community, and to the work of God's broader kingdom, supporting new church plants in West Virginia, starting in Charlottesville and other places. This is amazing. I was talking to a friend last week at the gathering of our diocese who, for the last five years, has been trying to plant a church in Buffalo, New York, where there are very few strong uh, Orthodox Christian churches. And it has been a slog. And you know what? They're actually closing. Not because of the lack of resources necessarily, but because his family is um, just worn out. But our church is a part of that work and we have helped support that work there's also the provision of a place for the future of our church that we've experienced this year like i said it, it, there's a sense in which church of the lamb has had its most fruitful year so far in january we're going to start our 8th year as a church that's crazy And most years up until now, to be honest, the goal financially has been something like, uh, let's try to make it to next year. (laughs) Let's try to make it to next year. And on the surface at this point, even though we're worshiping out in the cold today and it's, on the surface, it looks as if we might not only make it to next year, but with God's help, Lamb could be here for a very long time. And there's a temptation, though, in that perspective to start storing up, to start playing it safe. And if we start doing that, we will lose part of what makes us children of God, the daily dependence on his provision as our loving father. What I'm telling you is that we are still just as vulnerable and in need of daily provision as those widows. Couples in your 50s and 60s, things aren't as lean as they used to be. You are still as much in need of God's daily provision as you were when you started. And the savings accounts are a false buffer. They lie to you. The goal in life as a church, as individuals, is not some vague sense of stability. Okay, now I can rest. The goal is faithfulness to Christ and to his kingdom at all times. Abiding in him together and bearing fruit together as a people. You know what I enjoy the most about being your pastor, being a priest at Lamb, is walking with you in the journey the difficulty of learning to abide in Christ and be faithful to Him. In all the ways that your life tempts you not to be faithful. And all the burdens that you face in life, walking with you and together seeking to pray and learn what it means to abide in Christ and be faithful. Learning to rest in Him and learning to love out of that rest. I am so grateful. I'm amazed that my work involves praying with and for you in the midst of your life. That is a gift. And what I'm excited about is the growth of this kind of intimate work at every level of our church. Renee with the infants and the children and the families in our church. Nick with youth. Uh, Last night, Nick did some discipleship with youth in the form of, um, what was the name of the movie, Nick? I'm sorry. Princess Bride. That's important discipleship work right there. And someone has to do that, Nick. Thank you. No, he is spending time building relationships and praying with the kids and walking with them and figuring out what it means to abide in Christ as teenagers. That is unbelievably difficult at the time of life in which we live. We're doing this seeking to discern more and more how to do this with adults in parish groups and in other forms of discipleship. In the To Be a Christian series that we've been doing, at the end, at the last 20 to 30 minutes, is groups getting together and praying for each other. Talking through questions of discipleship in the midst of life. Daniel Zimmerman is coming on as our property manager to ensure that the culture of our land and the work that happens on it coincides with the mission of abiding in Christ. Listen, the the parish council conversation that led to us hiring a property manager was, let's make sure that the parish is not consumed by the work on the land in such a way that we're not fulfilling our mission of abiding in Christ. Let's protect the parish We need someone whose job is to steward the land to help us abide in Christ, to use the gift of it, but protect us from the shadow side. This is our work as a church, to continue to take steps forward in faith to discern what it means to abide in Christ together. Now, I want to close with a passage from Hebrews that Sheldon read for us. The author of Hebrews says in this passage that Christ has dealt fully with our sin once for all. Listen, this is the reason that you do not need to seek alternative spirituality in your life. You need to continue growing deeper into Christ. Because he is the one who has dealt with your sin once and for all. And the author says that Christ has dealt with our sins so that when he returns, it will no longer be to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly longing for him. There is a spiritual danger in focusing our lives on having enough. On getting to a place where we're stable and building up our reserves so that we're no longer daily dependent. Because at that point, we're no longer eagerly waiting for Christ. We're misliving instead of living fully into Christ himself, the author and perfecter of our faith. So as a church, we're seeking to more fully abide in him, to depend on Christ in every layer of our life together. That's what we're doing with our budget. That's what we're doing with the discipleship. That's what we're seeking to do in our worship. This is what I believe God is doing at Church of the Lamb. Guiding us more fully to abide in Christ, invited to rest, and compelled to love. Let's keep doing this together. Amen.